Well, good morning and welcome to Windsor Road today. Uh, my name is Jason Weatherholt. I'm the family life minister here. And uh, Randy is out of town, so you have to put up with me today. But uh, when uh, we're in this uh, series right now on the book of Mark, and if you've been with us for a while, then, uh, then hopefully this series has been challenging for you. We're mirroring it over in the teen service as well so that families can go home and, uh, and talk about what they're learning at the same time. If this is your first week here with us, then welcome. And uh, we hope that, that today will be as challenging for you as the series has been for us along the way. And when Randy asked me to speak today, and I saw that the topic was humility, uh, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Uh, In fact, I I thought a little bit, and and I realized this is probably like the second or third time Randy has asked me to speak on some humility-related topic. So I'm not sure what he's trying to say, but I'm a little offended in any case. So humility, right? Probably one of the few things that all of us here think we're better at than we actually are. If you think about this, there's, there's kind of like a, a public side to it and a private side to it, right? Uh, here's a great example. Um, next week, we're going to have a Super Bowl, correct? And, and probably, if you know, it follows past traditions, at some point during the game, one player on either team will do something spectacular, right? And either it will win the game at the end of it, or, or it will turn the tide of the game and change the direction of things or whatever. And that person literally will be the one person who made such a difference that it changed the game. And so they'll come, you know, at the end of the game, they'll come, they'll put a microphone in their face, they'll interview them, and they'll say, you know, what did you think about that? How did you get ready to be able to do that one thing to win the game? And what's the athlete going to do? They're basically going to lie and pretend like they had nothing to do with it, right? Oh, well, you know, it's just a great team effort, and I just, I want to thank the coaches who made me tie my shoes today, and I want to thank my mom who had me, and, you know, I mean, they just go on and on and on because we've taught our athletes, we've coached them. Do not take credit for things in public. We don't want to hear any kind of uh, arrogance from our athletes at all. But I think there's a private side to this as well. Because I think all of us, when it comes to our own thought lives, all of us are very quick to take credit for a whole lot of things that were not us along the way, and then even to accept blame for things that we had no control over. I think this is an issue for all of us. And we're going to get a window today into uh, some uh, a humility experience uh, a learning experience in the hearts and minds of us, of Jesus' disciples. So we're going to be in Mark 9. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, you can turn to Mark 9 or we'll show it up on the screen as well. Uh, but we're going to be in Mark 9, uh, verse 33. And it's good to note here as we kick this off that we're at the end of Jesus' ministry, okay? So Jesus had about 30 years of life that we only have a few uh, select moments from, and then he's got three years of ministry at the end of that. And, uh, and so this is kind of the culmination. We're getting close to the end of, of Jesus' 33 years of life, of his three years with the disciples. And here's what's on their hearts, all right? So Mark 9, uh, verse 33, here's what it says. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them. Now, note that says the house, not just a house in particular. That is a specific house they were at. Since the book of Mark is, is Mark's record of, of the things Peter told him along the way, it's, it's likely, it's very possible that that's actually Peter's house that they're at. But anyway, when he was in the house, uh, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Okay, isn't on some level, isn't it refreshing to know that even the disciples struggled with ego? 
mean, doesn't that make you feel just a little bit better? I mean, is it good for us to know sometimes that the elders at our church go through financial peace classes and things like that to help learn to manage their money better? That, that the staff in our church, uh, you know, goes to marriage seminars and things like that to help their marriage get stronger? That even the guy on this stage has accountability software on his computer to make sure he doesn't go where he shouldn't go when he's online, okay? All of us, each one of us is a work in progress. We are not there yet, but with God's help, we are working toward it. Well, verse 35 says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, no, isn't that, wouldn't that feel just a little creepy to you? I mean, they never actually told him what they were talking about along the way. He just knew it. And I'm assuming that even after three years of Jesus knowing what's on people's hearts and minds, it still would be a strange experience. Okay, and these words must have been hard to hear. For 12 guys who have basically been at the side of a star the whole way through. I mean, there had to be fame and attention that came from going alongside Jesus. And sure, some of it was good and some of it was bad, but still it's attention, right? And now you're being asked to give all of that up to become a servant, And a servant in their world was an undignified thing. Okay, nowadays, if someone called you a servant, you'd think of that as a good thing, right? You know, oh, great, thank you. They noticed that thing that I did. Okay, but not so for them. To be a servant was not as exciting of a thing. In fact, this word for servants, where we get our word for deacon today, it was Plato who once said, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? So you see, the desire for advancement is not something new. Okay, we are not just the first culture in the history of the world in 21st century America that has type A driven people and is looking for advancement and doesn't want to be a lowly person, okay? I I think that since we were babies, I think that we have been regularly programmed that leadership and and being up front, those are the things we strive for, right? You know, we teach our kids, you could be president someday, you could do this, you could do that, you could be a famous athlete, you can do all these things. I think that sometimes we program our kids to look for all these leadership opportunities. In some ways, we teach them that service is just the thing you have to do along the way to get to where you want to be. The service isn't the goal. I mean, think about how we create org charts in our workplaces, Right? You know, I, I don't know about you. If, you. if you sit an org chart in front of me, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to look at the top of it, right? I want to see who the most important one is on it and then how it works down from there. I mean, that's the way we have structured our thinking. I imagine that most of us who manage people as a part of our job probably had a similar experience somewhere along the way where we had a rude awakening. You know, that, that we always thought it'd be so cool to have that position of authority or whatever, And then slowly but surely, you start to notice yourself getting there before other people get to the office and leaving after they've already left. And when you're in the middle of a big project you want to work on and someone else needs coaching along the way, you begin to realize that there's more to this than just the title that you thought would be so cool to have. I read this week, I I thought it was funny, I read someone's post on Facebook. They said, you're not a real fan of a band until you know the name of the bass player. Okay, I thought that was really, really funny because, I mean, how many of us, you know, for the music that we like, we can name the lead singer, sometimes we can name, you know, the lead guitar player or whatever else, we don't know the supporting cast. Or we think in terms of the people who stand in front and speak or whatever else, and we forget that, you know, there had to be somebody here at 6.30 this morning running cables to make things happen. There had to be, you know, some great guys back in the tech booth that can put up with a message two times through in a morning to make what we have happen. Well, verse 36, it says, 
He took a little child uh, and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does, uh, does not, I'm sorry, and <laughs> whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And this, I mean, these verses, as you can clearly see, these are our biblical defense on the Family Life team of why we ask for more budget money every single year, you know? Because Jesus said it was important, right? That's what we say. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Children in their culture had no rights. The children in the culture had no status, okay? They're not prized like children are today. There were no baby on board stickers on the side of a chariot or anything else, okay? In a society like theirs with such a high infant mortality rate, children were not as prized as they are today. Here, Jesus isn't saying in this section, become like a child. He's saying, care and love, love those that no one else cares about like children, If you want to be great, take care of those who cannot fight for themselves. The homeless, the fatherless, the down and out, the unborn, any of those who cannot fight for themselves, you need to stand up for. And here's what happens next. So Jesus uh, is going to go and he's going to teach some more. And then they're going to make a pretty big journey. They're up in Capernaum. They're going to go all the way down to Judea. It's a long journey. So they would have had plenty of time on the road to talk and dialogue more. Uh, it, Jesus is going to have the Pharisees come and, te- or Jesus is going to have the, the leaders come and test him uh, about divorce, what Randy talked about a couple weeks ago. Then this rich young man is going to come uh, to Jesus and ask what he needs to do to, to, to get heaven. And he's going to say, sell everything and give it to the poor. And the disciples are going to say, what about us? You know, we've left everything behind. And then Jesus predicts his death. Now you might ask, why is all that important? Because I think this is going to be really important to set up the next thing that happens. So you had the disciples getting told, hey, it, it's not, uh, it's, you know, it's about being a servant. It's not about the things you think are important. All of these other events happen, okay? And at the end of all of this, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, come back to him because they have something on their mind, okay? After all those events, they have an idea. It's so important. They have to seek Jesus out. And if you flip over to Mark 10, just the next chapter, Mark 10, verse 35, here's what James and John say. Then James and John The sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, imagine if one of your children came to you and said something like that, right? You know, it's like, I have no idea. Okay, so Jesus said, you know, well, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Are you picturing this? I mean, these are Jesus' disciples. These are two of his closest friends who have been with him for three years of ministry, good times and bad times, who have seen him perform miracles, have heard incredible teaching along the way. You remember Solomon in the Old Testament? You know, God goes to Solomon and says, I'm going to grant one request. What do you want? Solomon doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for a long life. He asks for wisdom. Because he asked for such a good, humble thing, uh, God gives him all the other stuff as well. Well, this is, this is James and John, one request. They got one opportunity to go to Jesus and say, please give us one thing. And what they want is a promotion. They want to sit in a cool seat. And I think it's actually a great window into how much Jesus was misunderstood along the way. See, if, if you spend some time in the Old Testament, you will see there's a promised one coming. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we get these prophecies and these messages about one that is coming, the Messiah. Okay, the Messiah is the term we use in the Old Testament. Christ is the same term in the New Testament. Okay, so there's this one that is promised who is going to turn things right. 
This one who God is going to send and is going to change everything, is going to uh, uh, you know, set up, establish a kingdom and all that. And by the first century, God's people had a pretty good idea what they thought that was going to look like. They had this idea of, you know, this kind of like war hero type person, right? Who would come in and would throw off anyone that oppressed them. So at the time, it's the Romans. So it would cast off the Roman oppression, would set up a kingdom. And they were so excited because, you know, of course, well, those who are righteous and devout, well, they're going to get special places in that kingdom, correct? You know, I mean, it's going to be good for them. So here are the disciples knowing it's already going to be good for them, but they just want to make sure they get the extra special good places in this. All right? And these are the guys who have been with him all throughout. So James and John basically just want to call dibs. Okay, they're kind of like, like four college guys who leave Steak and Shake. And the second they hit the door, what's the first thing that four college guys, well, three of them, what's the first thing three college guys would say when they hit the door of Steak and Shake walking out to the parking lot? Shotgun, right? Exactly, because you want the position in the front seat. I mean, I can understand that as someone, you know, who is not small. I totally resonate with that. But here's the problem. You know people, right? So if that's the kind of kingdom that Jesus set up, and we wipe out the Romans, and we just put these other men in their place, probably over the course of time, they're going to pursue their own self-serving means, right? Because that's on our human nature. I read this week the quote, If we don't humble ourselves, nothing changes except the names of the rulers. Isn't that true? If we don't humble ourselves, nothing changes except the names of those who are in charge along the way. An earthly kingdom, we know, is not what Jesus had in mind. All that talk about the Messiah and coming and everything else was about this kingdom in heaven that he was going to establish. The Christ, the Messiah. Well, verse 38 Uh, You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? There's very, very strong symbolism here, okay? The cup is an Old Testament symbol of of suffering that's going to take place. You know, oftentimes at, at the hand of God's wrath, basically, okay? So Jesus is giving a picture of suffering. Are you ready to drink from that cup? You really want to have suffering? And baptism, as you probably know, is a term that means literally immersion, getting dunked under. That's why when someone puts their faith in Jesus, the, the first thing we do, we have a baptistry right here. That's why our church does that. Because we read these accounts in Matthew 3 when Jesus is baptized, right? And he comes up out of the water and the Spirit of God descends like a dove. Well, uh, you know, he had to be under the water to have come up out of the water, right? Or in Acts 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and, and you know, he's coming to faith and he says, well, there, there's, there's a body of water over there. Why shouldn't I just go be baptized right now? So what Jesus is saying here is, can you stay true in the midst of the suffering that is going to come your way because of me? Can you be immersed in hardship and still follow? See, I I think when things are not, when when things are good, I'm not sure we learn that much about your character. When everything goes your way, I don't think we really see you for who you are. It's not hard for me to clean up my language when I spend 30 minutes on a stage in front of a bunch of other Christians, right? That's not difficult. It's when you drop something heavy on your foot and you think that, your daughters are out of earshot, right? That's the time where we learn something about the way you speak and the words that you use. One of the, one of the things I love most about Windsor Road, um, one of the things that makes me the most proud to be a part of this community of believers is the focus on mission trips. 
and, and kind of the international uh, um, focus that happens here. And so I love, I've been down several times to the Dominican Republic. We're going to have Derek and Lydia Gard uh, share just a little bit later in our service. I'm very excited about the work that God is doing through them down there. Okay, it, when you head out on a DR mission trip, or any mission trip, okay, it's not hard for me to be a servant with the Dominicans when we're down there, right? They're the ones I'm going to make a difference in their lives. So when things are tough with them, well, it's fine. I just chalk it up. It's no big deal. It's okay. It's a little bit tougher when members of your missions team are difficult personalities, or you think they're not carrying their weight, or whatever else, right? That's, that's when we learn whether or not you're a team player, when things get difficult on the team that you're on down there. Well, in verse 39, they very just kind of flippantly answer, we can, they answered, right? Hey, they answered just as arrogantly as the, as the rich young ruler does that Jesus dealt with. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. Can't you almost hear the emphasis there? Oh, you will. <laughs> You'll understand suffering, I promise you. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Well, duh, right? But probably not for the reason that first hits you. I doubt that the ten thought that this was just an audacious request, that James and John were so far out in left field, they just can't imagine them making this kind of request. My assumption is they're upset about this because they didn't ask first. You know, James and John are the two that got to call, they got to call shotgun on being, a, you know, the right and left of Jesus. And these guys are like, ah, oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Do you worry more about how you carry yourself than whether or not you carry a cross? Do you worry more about what others think than what God already knows? See, the disciples wanted the glory without the cross. They wanted the reward without the work that it takes. I wonder, too, if we sometimes are too enamored with the idea of our dreams. I read a book a couple years ago that talked about uh, uh, you know, if, if you have, have something, a goal in life, especially the book was talking about retirement, you know, that the author had said, I, I sometimes hear people who want to work their whole lives away so that they can buy a boat, uh, retire, buy a boat, and sail around the Caribbean. That's kind of their goal. And he said, my encouragement to them is take a month of vacation, rent a boat, and sail around the Caribbean, and see if you still like it 30 days later. Because you might find that you're slaving away your whole life for something that's actually really not going to make you that happy. I think the same is true for us. You know, if you're, a U, if you're an engineering student at the U of I, then do an internship some summer. Find out if the thing that you're blazing towards is really the thing that you want to do. If you want to manage people, you know, if you think, oh, I'm a leader, you know, I'm among men, I'm going to take charge and all that. Spend a month committed to, to never taking credit for anything and only accepting blame. And if you still like it at the end of the month, maybe you should consider some kind of management position. If you, uh, you know, if you uh, get online and you have a dream guitar online, then play one in person, lest you spend six months of your life salivating after one guitar and, you know, and, 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 uh, and using up all of your loving wife's sanity along the way, only to find that that's not really the guitar you wanted. Wait, did that, did that one seem oddly specific? Okay, never mind. We'll just move on. Um, 
If your dreams come at the expense of others, they are not from God. If you choose to marry, God cares more about your success at home than your success at work. If you are so blessed to have children, God will not reward you for changing the world and leaving them behind. If your ambition comes at our expense, then it is selfish. It was during a sermon on this very passage uh, in 1968, two months before he was killed, that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke some of his more famous words. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Jesus called them together, verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must become a slave of all. Now remember, a slave was not a highly sought after lot in life for them. Okay, remember the, the, what these words would mean to Jesus' hearers. This would be just as crazy to hear this as, as his teaching a moment ago about, you know, camel going through the eye of a needle is easier than a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. Now he says this, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And here in verse 45, Mark is deliberately taking us back to Isaiah 53, 11. Here's what that says. It says, After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus is the fulfillment of those words. He is the suffering servant for us. And the next thing that's going to happen after this conversation with the disciples is that Jesus is going to heal a blind man in Bartimaeus, and then the next record in Mark is going to be of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which kicks off what we call Passion Week, the last week of his life, and he's going to be dead by Friday. You ever have a time where you look back and you think, wow, I wish I could take back those words? Makes you wonder if the disciples were, if James and John especially were like, oh, that's one of the last things we ever said to him. That's the thing that we want to remember. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's what I wonder. Did those words sum up your life? If you died today, would we etch those onto your tombstone? Would those so encompass who you are that that's, that is exactly what we would think of? What do you want to be remembered for? See, the concept here is not difficult. Only consistently implementing it in your life is Jesus came to serve. In fact, he was so focused on serving that ultimately it took him to a cross on our behalf. What does your life look like in comparison to that? I mean, think about it. The reality is, probably none of us in this room is ever going to be called upon to die for Jesus. Maybe. 
But probably very few of us would ever have that where we're called upon to die for Jesus. So maybe the better question is, will you live for him? Will your life be summed up by that? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. For for even Brandon did not come to be served, but to serve. For even Brian did not come to be served, but to serve. For even Jeff did not come to be served, but to serve. For even Kevin did not come to be served, but to serve. For even Jason did not come to be served, but to serve. The life of a Christ follower is the life of service. I wonder if your life is summed up by one of my favorite lyrics one of my favorite bands. Uh, there's a great U2 line uh, from the song Mysterious Ways that says, if you want to kiss the sky, better learn how to kneel. Does that sum up your life and your faith? Let's pray. God, we want to serve you. We want to show your love to this world. God, sometimes it's difficult with all the things that distract us, all the things that just clamor for our attention on a regular basis. God, help to mold us into the image of your son. Help us to kneel at the foot of the cross, casting everything else by the side so that we come not to be served, but to serve you and this world. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name.